All right, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, verse 1. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And the third missionary journey is going to begin today. We, we kind of touched on it last week, but the third missionary journey is going to begin today, which means it's a great time for you if you're looking for a church, if you're newer to Anchor. It's a good time for you to come each week because starting a new missionary journey is like a new section of the book, and you're going to be able to plug right in to see what God's teaching us through the book of Acts. So in Acts 19, 1 to 10, the third missionary journey is going to begin. We have a picture here of Paul's travels in the early AD 50s, right? The early AD 50s is when the third missionary journey took place. You can see that he started from Antioch, um, one of the first bases of church planting way over in the east. And then the red line shows his travels through those cities that comprised the first missionary journey, like Derby, Lystra, Iconium. Then he went into Asia. That became the base of the second missionary. Uh, at the end of the second missionary journey, Paul landed in Ephesus. And this is going to become the base, the region where the third missionary journey truly explodes. You remember on the second missionary journey, God made him pass through there and said, don't stop, keep going. Then they ended up in the upper left in Philippi, went through Thessalonica, Berea, down through Athens. Um, this is, of course, the third missionary journey. So he's traveling through those cities where the second missionary journey happened. Then when he hits Corinth, he turns around and he starts going um, back. And then he, uh, he ends up all the way back down to Jerusalem. So this is, this is going to be the next several parts in the book of Acts. I'm going to play a video I showed last week, which is kind of a virtual tour of the city of Ephesus, because Paul stops in Ephesus for several years. So here's a video that just is going to give you, in case you missed it, a holiday weekend last week, I really want you to see this. This is Ephesus, and Paul's going to stay here on his trip for like three years on the third missionary journey. Ephesus is going to become a glorious center of missions, church planting, and regional outreach. You can see why God told Paul to pass it by on the second missionary journey, because he was encircling the whole region with gospel impact, which created a saturation. So when they started reaching out, the, there were already people who were planted in the surrounding cities. Hey, in the mighty Roman Empire, we're not talking about primitive villages with mud huts. This isn't like the Flintstones, okay? This is the height of civilization at the time, and Ephesus was a capital city of the entire province. The governor lived here. This is, this is a glorious time in human history. And uh, Paul was planted right here with a group of leaders preaching the gospel. And it was a very big city. And it was a port city, so the gospel got to start spreading all over the world. This would be like a house. It, they were a couple condominium-type um, apartments that would be together. And Paul would have stayed in one of these with one of his friends in the city. There were great uh, government buildings. There were uh, temples to other gods. And one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple to Artemis, was right outside the city. Uh, that's not it, but we're going to travel outside the city in a moment. The temple to Artemis was just renowned by everybody. Of course, the Roman equivalent we learned last week of Artemis is Diana, which in modern day we know her as Wonder Woman, Diana, right? So uh, temple to her back then. What you're going to see in this third missionary journey is God selected this great city to, to be a place not only where a church would thrive, but to be a place where other churches could spring into existence. And on a weekend where we're celebrating our own launch as a church, as a church plant, it just shows you how the first century church was built. Churches planted churches. They sent out apostles, missionaries, evangelists. New churches were launched. Then those churches began to multiply themselves and reached all around the, uh, 
the region. Ephesus would get a letter from Paul, Ephesians, and from Ephesus and Corinth, Paul would write a lot of letters in the New Testament. So what a city, what a track we're about to take here on the third missionary journey. All right, and in Acts 19, we'll read in a moment, but let's pray before we get into God's word together. Father, thank you for this chapter in your, in your book that catalogs the growth, the birth, the expansion, the foundation of the church in the first century. Show us from the outreach that happened in this city, show us how to be a church that is, that is looking outside of ourselves, wanting to impact our city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was said back then that they turned the world upside down. And I pray that you would turn our world upside down by the preaching of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. 19, verse 1, it says this, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. He said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. <clears throat> On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. So the first point you can write down is this. Believe and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Believe and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the simple gospel message. John the Baptist preached this. Believe in the Lamb of God who was coming <clears throat> into the world. And what a character John the Baptist was. It says that these disciples were John's disciples. They were baptized into John's baptism. So we have to figure out why Paul was a little confused when they said they were disciples and they kind of, you know, knew about the Messiah, but they didn't really exactly have the loop closed. So he started asking them questions. He found out that they were with John the Baptist, but they hadn't crossed over to becoming followers of Jesus after he was revealed. So... John the Baptist was a preacher. He was in the wild, right? And he was a kind of a weirdo, am I right? He ate locusts, yeah, and uh, wore like rustic clothing, led, led these rustic retreats out there like a prophet, and he was ministering kind of in the spirit of Elijah. He was a miracle baby. Barren parents uh, were told they were going to have a baby. And his father was a priest. He was told this on temple duty. Do you remember this? Gabriel appeared to him. And he started questioning the angel. Just a little. You might want to write this down. If an angel ever appears to you, don't question him. Okay? <laughs> I mean, you know, it'd just be like, oh, you're an angel. Okay? Unless he's preaching a false gospel. But uh, Zacharias was like, how is this going to be? I'm an old man. And so he got struck mute for nine months for not believing the truth. Uh, and so he couldn't talk for nine months. Now, I don't know, wives, if your husband couldn't talk for nine months, I'll let you decide if that would be a blessing or a burden. But John the Baptist's dad was uh, judged for his unbelief because he should have known better. And then John was born, and when he finally gave the name John, he could talk again. So write this down. John the Baptist announced the arrival of the Messiah. He announced the arrival of the Messiah. He announced the gospel. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
John himself was spoken of in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know. It's, to me, kind of cool if you looked into the Old Testament and you started reading your devotion and you realized, whoa, this verse 700 BC is talking about me. Like, not us, me. That is what John the Baptist had. He was talked about in the Old Testament. It was prophesied that he would be a prophet who would announce the coming of the Lord. How cool is that? Here's a few verses from the Old Testament that apply to John the Baptist's life. Isaiah 43, a voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That was 700 years before Christ. And then Malachi right there, 430 years before Christ. Behold, I send my messenger. That's John the Baptist. He will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. One way we would know the Messiah arrived is there would be a forerunner to the Messiah. That would be John the Baptist. John the Baptist announced the arrival of the Messiah. When John's dad got his voice back because he stopped being a knucklehead, he said some cool things about his son. In Luke 1, 76-77, he said this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So John's role was clear. He was a herald of the Messiah. I wonder if for thousands of years God had planned to announce that a Savior had come. I wonder if this was the key central component of his plan. I wonder if you have discovered that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Have you heard that call? Maybe you don't have to go into the middle of the wilderness and hear a seemingly madman shout out, you know, dressed in camel hair and eating bugs. But maybe you could hear that same call today. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who came into the world to save sinners like you. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in your place to take your penalty. He was thrown in a tomb and on the third day he rose again. Eyewitnesses saw it and they saw him exalted to the right hand of the Most High God where he now rules heaven and earth. Therefore, he alone will sit on a throne of a kingdom that will never end. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That is the message of heaven, the glorious truth proclaimed by John the Baptist. So these disciples heard that, but generally they believed, but somehow they didn't quite then see, you know, John eventually was like, he's the one. They, they didn't quite get the he's the one, and they weren't baptized into Christ's name. So they were still anticipating the coming of this Messiah. Write this down. Baptism in Christ symbolizes being born again through faith. Baptism in Christ symbolizes being born again through faith. So it says here, baptism a few times, it says in verse 3, into what then were you baptized? They said into John's baptism. So John would baptize the people who would come to him, and that was their way of saying, we repent of our known sins, and we are preparing ourselves, consecrating ourselves for the coming of the Messiah. It was a baptism of repentance and preparation. But then when the Messiah came, Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist, not for his own sins, but to fulfill all righteousness, 
and to identify himself as the one that John has been speaking about. So from that point on, John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease, right? That's why we need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't do anything for you. The water doesn't mean anything. Uh, you go under the water and you come up. It shows that by faith in Jesus Christ, all of your sins have been washed away. It shows that you were dead and you have now come back to new life. Baptism, therefore, is a picture like a wedding ring is a picture. You know, if I were to take this wedding ring off, I'm still married because this is just the symbol of the promise, the covenant that we share. Baptism is the same way. It's a picture of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a picture of the cross and the tomb. And if you believe this, that Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins, on the third day the stone was rolled away. He came back to life, never to die again. And now, because he lives, you can live then you should get baptized to show that you have been brought to new life. This is the biblical model. Believe and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul himself was a profile of a violent offender who opposed the gospel, killed Christians, threw them in jail. He saw the light. He saw the risen Lord, and he went blind because of it, and then Jesus miraculously gave him his sight back. He was immediately baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So baptism symbolizes being born again through faith, seeing the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find out here that even the disciples of John the Baptist, I mean, let's face it, if there's any other baptism that could have counted, I mean, I was baptized by a guy who was uh, named by an angel and uh, was a miracle baby and talked about in the Old Testament. Great, great, great. Nope, you got to do it again. So this is a rebaptism in the book of Acts. And the pattern of Scripture is you should be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ after you have been saved to show that you have a living faith in him. And so that is what we observe here in the Scripture. Even the disciples of John the Baptist needed to nail it down and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So have you been baptized after your salvation into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then jot this down, have you believed, have you been baptized? Baptism right here, rebaptism is the right call in this situation because they had not had a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul asked them to get baptized again, following conversion to faith in Christ. You know, for me, I was raised in the Catholic Church and went to religious ed. Anyone else like me? CCD? Did you write your saint report? I did. Here's a picture of me in my confirmation days. Check that out. I had quite a mullet there, and we were getting confirmed. And, but, it, you know, I really didn't believe any of that stuff. I thought it was a big joke. I had no faith in Jesus Christ while I was in college. So it was in college when I professed my faith in Jesus Christ, and I was born again and saved. So I got baptized again. And I'd been baptized as a baby, but I got baptized again. They made me wear a robe. Aren't you thankful that you don't have to do that anymore these days? And uh, got baptized and told the world that I had become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So have you believed and have you been baptized? If you have never been baptized, October 1st is our next baptism service. And I would love for you to make the decision today, based on what you're seeing in God's word, that I need to do it. I, I need to publicly tell people that I am a born-again follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make the decision today that you are going to get baptized on October 1st. No excuses. Don't put it off any longer. 
uh, just make the decision that you are going to um, do what the scripture adheres, uh, commands us to do here. So number one, believe and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day you believe for the first time that Jesus is alive and you ask him to be your savior. That can happen today. Okay, so now we go on to number two. You will receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive the Holy Spirit. So it says, verse two, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not ever heard that there is a Holy Spirit. This whole point is going to be about what's called pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, okay? In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come on some of the followers of, of God, but he wouldn't stay. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit was not on all of God's people in the Old Testament. There was a handful of people who did have the indwelling, but even then it was temporary. Moses said, I would love for all of God's people to have the Holy Spirit in them because boy, did they give him a headache in the middle of the wilderness as they were going from town to town, right? Uh, and so, but it didn't happen. David, even when he sinned against the Lord, prayed, do not take your Holy Spirit from me because he knew the Spirit had come on Saul and then the Spirit left Saul. After Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out in a new and powerful way, he takes up residence in every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment of salvation. 100% of the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. You become a temple of the living God. And the Spirit seals you. He never leaves you. You can grieve him. You can be out of step with him. But if you're a true born-again Christian, you will never lose the Holy Spirit of God. It's because it's based on the final atoning work of Jesus Christ at the cross. He finished it on your behalf. That's wonderful news. So if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will receive the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say here, on hearing this, verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Now, a few of the things here are powerful, but not normative in Scripture. So the apostles didn't have to lay their hands on people to give them the Holy Spirit. That was an exception, not the rule. In this case, it was a uh, very highly symbolic of the closing out of the Old Testament witness uh, through John the Baptist and the crossing over into the New Testament covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was a, a powerful time of transition here. It also says they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. That also is a very spectacular sign outward sign that the Spirit has come on them, but it's not normative. It's not the rule. It's actually the exception in Scripture here. Those are just a few of the spiritual gifts. And so you don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to prophesy. And some people have grown up in a tradition where they were taught that if you don't speak in tongues, you must not have the Holy Spirit. That's simply not biblical. That contradicts 1 Corinthians. So that's uh, something that is not scriptural. So you find here that in this instance, an apostle laid his hands on them, as a sign that they received the Spirit, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. That's really awesome and incredible, but it's not always essential. So you will receive the Holy Spirit after you believe. And um, the question that I have for you is, do you have evidence that the Holy Spirit is within you? And do those around you see evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you? The most common evidence is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what your favorite fruit is. Maybe it's an apple. Maybe it's an orange. Maybe it's a banana. Maybe it's a kiwi. 
I don't know what it is, but you know fruit, and therefore you know if you walked up to a tree that was supposed to be producing pears and it didn't, it was either not a pear tree or it's dead. So if there's no fruit of the Holy Spirit being in you, then either you're spiritually dead or you are bearing fruit of a different belief system. The fruit of the Spirit is, of course, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Having these in increasing measure shows that the Spirit is living within you. Um, Lacking these over time, the diminishing of these traits and the abundance of the fruit of sin increasing in your life shows that you are not a Christian. All Christians sin and all non-Christians have virtues. But Christians will increasingly show and demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit as they are transformed, and non-Christians will increasingly show the fruit of sin and depravity as they are uh, plunged further into ruin. So the life transformed by the Spirit shows increasingly that you are saved. So have you received the Holy Spirit, and is there fruit in your life that you are being transformed over time? Who is the Spirit? Well, write this down. The Holy Spirit is 100% God. 100% God. That's why he's called the Holy Spirit. And there is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. But Father, Son, and Spirit are God. One God, plural persons. That is the mystery and the beauty of God. So God the Spirit proceeds from the Father and yet is sent by the Son. So the Spirit is sent by the Son. It says, John says that this, the Son baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, but this Spirit proceeds from the Father and is therefore heavenly. Who is it that comes to dwell within us? Well, it's God, the Spirit with enough power to form an entire universe, all the wisdom of God, always with us, giving us comfort and love, wow, wow, God with us. Christ in us, through the Spirit, is our hope of glory. Being a temple of the living God, where God dwells in us, is one of the most glorious realities of being a born-again follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're going through in life right now. I don't know what your troubles are, your challenges are. But right away, Paul asked them, do you have the Holy Spirit? And you need God's Spirit to make it through this life and to get into heaven in the next life. Here's a slide that I found with tons of emotions that you might be feeling right now. If you sat closer today, then it paid off because the font is fairly small. But how are you feeling? And uh, you, maybe you're feeling in life right now anxious or enraged or lonely, bored, hopeless. Maybe you're feeling motivated, cheerful, happy, joyful even, or content, calm, balanced, serene. No matter where you're at in life right now, God wants you to know that he is with you. And when his spirit takes up residence in your life, When you have the Holy Spirit, no matter if life is good, great, terrible, terrifying, God will be with you. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, is what Christ promised. The Holy Spirit fulfills that in your life. Right now, 
Either you have the Holy Spirit of God in your life or you do not have the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And the determining factor is, have you repented of your sin, apologized to God, asked him to save your soul forever? If so, you do have the Holy Spirit in you. If not, you don't. And that's why you've been wondering, where is God? What has he done? Why do I feel all alone? I'm powerless to stop sinning. It's because you don't have the Holy Spirit of God in you yet. The Holy Spirit is 100% God, and he's a comforter there to help you in all of your trials. Write this down. The Spirit gives us new life through faith in Christ. So the Spirit is active in salvation. The Spirit gives us new life through faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit is mentioned many times throughout Luke's writings, throughout the book of Acts, throughout the book of Luke. And the Spirit is proof, evidence, that Jesus is alive. Jesus, in fact, said, I will send the Spirit, uh, I will baptize you in the Spirit, John the Baptist said. Jesus said, the Father will send the Spirit. When it happens, it shows that Christ is alive. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit fulfills Joel 2. Joel 2 says that the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost is a sign that the last days have begun. So we are really in overtime. In terms of what God's going to do next, you know, there's not going to be anything else here because we're in the last days. And the clock is winding down from the moment Pentecost happened. We are in the end times. There is a culminating craziness in the end of the end. But make no mistake, when the Spirit is poured out, that's now, we are in the last days. Do you remember that R.E.M. song? It's the end of the world as we know it. Anytime that song comes on, you got to like turn it up and drive faster, right? Because it's just like so exciting, and yet it's like apocalyptic. It's the end of the world as we know it. Uh, That's now. That's now. We are in the last days, the age of the church here. And therefore, it doesn't mean run for your lives. Yet, that will come. It means we've entered an era marked with urgency. Because at any time, the trumpet could sound. At any time, God can say, that's it. At any time. So we have to live with urgency. And Joel 2 says, not only have the last days begun, but it is a call, it's an awakening to respond. He says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Lord has come. The Spirit authenticated that. Have you called on the name of the Lord in order to be saved? If not, you have resisted the call of heaven. You have turned away from the testimony of Scripture in the last days. In the last days. You didn't just do it at any time. You did it in the last days, which makes you even more culpable. So be born again. Become a new creation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can do that in you. So do you know God? Do you have a sincere desire to honor and please him? Do you have assurance that your sins are forgiven? Do you feel white as snow? Do you understand time is short, eternity is forever? You were once spiritually dead, but now you can have new life in Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? Have you discovered that? Have you reached out and embraced the free gift of eternal life? That's what the Holy Spirit is for. And then write this down, the Spirit transforms us and empowers us to speak and serve. So saves us 
and then transforms us and empowers us to speak and serve. I can't tell you how many people get this backwards. So many people get this backwards. They think all their life, they're going to be good. They're going to be religious. They're going to be nice. They're going to get better. They're going to step up the stairway to try, and, to try and become the most optimized version of themselves. And, the, and then in the end, they're going to stand before God, and hopefully he'll say, good job, good job. And because you've been good, you get to come to heaven. So many people, so many people think that's the way to heaven. And they are totally deceived. And I need to ask you to examine yourself. Are you trying to get to heaven by following what's called good personism. Good personism. I'm a patriot, a pet lover, a real good neighbor, kind to my children. You trying to go up the ladder to get closer to God. So many people think they are supposed to be transformed one step at a time so that maybe one day they have enough faith to be acceptable to God. Friends, that is a false road to destruction. The only way, the only way that you can become acceptable to God is if you say, I can't. I will never be good enough. I will never be good enough. Never. I'm not taking the first step down that road. Because on my best day, my best filthy rags before God. Self-righteousness is a road to hell. Why do you need Jesus if you're just up in your own game? You see, at the very beginning, you realize that you need to be saved. Save me. Save me. You're in that rollover crash that's set on fire. You're not getting out. You're not getting out. He has to reach down and pull you up from the wreck of your life and the ruin of your soul. It's so humbling to say it, but you have to admit you need a savior. Once you say, save me, he pulls you up and gives you brand new life. Then the entirety of your life is being transformed from one degree of glory to the other. Do you see the difference? Please tell me you see the difference. I'm not trying to make God impressed by me anymore. I'm already saved. I'm taking one step after another because he's with me. He's making me different every step of the way. I don't have to carry it all the way and try and do my best. He's doing the work. And then he transforms me, and then at the end, I get accepted into glory because he saved me from the very beginning. I hope that you are not on the self-righteous plan because only saved people go to heaven. And then when you're saved, you get transformed by God's grace. The Spirit transforms us and empowers us to speak, and to serve. Have you been saved, and are you being transformed? So number one, believe and be baptized. Number two, receive the Holy Spirit. And then number three, go and tell others about the kingdom of God. Go and tell others about the kingdom of God. So it goes on to say here in verse 8, And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Very important concept there, kingdom of God. Luke mentions it at the beginning of Acts and at the end of the Acts. It's bookends and mentions it throughout the book of Luke. The kingdom of God is a key concept. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, 
speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So they moved from the synagogue to a school. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So they reached their entire region with the gospel. They had to, after several months, leave the synagogue because it was getting nasty in there, and they went to a school. I love this. We met in a school for four years. They met in a school. It was called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus. Who's your teacher this year? Do you have Mr. Tyrannus? <laughs> it means tyrant, which is really funny. Uh, one scholar wondered if he was named this by his pupils or his parents. <laughs> crazy toddler, Tyrannus, you know. They met in a school. They met in a school. Uh, there would be lectures in the day, and then the whole world would take a siesta for a few hours, and Paul would work as a tent maker at the time, we find out later, and then they'd all, they'd all go to church, they'd all come to learn. Instead of taking their nap, they'd go to the school and they'd, they'd get some discipleship Every day they did this. Every day. What an awesome church this was. The kingdom of God is a big theme. And we don't often think of kingdoms with good, with good vibes. You know what I mean? Like kingdom, king. We kind of ended that in the Revolutionary War. We, we don't really like kings, am I right? We're kind of against kings here in this country. Here are, but we like our fantasy kingdoms. Here are some fantasy kingdoms that we enjoy on the big screen. I mean, you've got... Thor, who comes from, you know, the kingdom of Thor, what's it called? Asgard. Some of you are whispering it, Asgard. He's, he's a false god. I don't want to admit that I watch his movies, right? Uh, you got Aragorn, right? Middle Earth, and then Wakanda Forever, and then you've got Avatar, uh, the kingdom of Pandora, I believe. So we love our fairy tale kingdoms, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, um, even all of the fantasy kingdoms on earth have nothing compared to the eternal kingdom of God. It's going to be far greater, more brilliant, and beautiful than anything you have ever imagined. The kingdom of God. And it's a kingdom you can enter right now through faith in Christ. You become a citizen of heaven. A citizen of his kingdom. He is the king. You are his subject. Heaven is not your personal place that you get to deck out and adorn according to your own whims and wishes. It's his, not yours. Therefore, Mark 1.15 says this. We got this verse we'll put up on the screen. Uh, the time is fulfilled, Jesus said, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's how you get into the kingdom of God. Repent and believe the gospel. Are you a member of the kingdom of God? If so, we have to go and tell others about the kingdom of God. Go and tell others about the kingdom of God. This is the third point if you didn't write it down. We see here in the text, write this down, some will stubbornly refuse to believe. Some will stubbornly refuse to believe. They knew better. They were shown in the scripture, it's true, verse 9, but they became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. I hope that's not you. I hope that's not you. I hope you don't know better. I, I hope after you got brought to church, taught the Bible, you know, I hope, I hope you have not fallen to stubborn unbelief speaking evil of the way there's never an excuse for that some will stubbornly refuse to believe but there's hope even if there's people in your life who are stubbornly stuck in unbelief look at the apostle paul 
He was the most hopeless sinner alive. He thought God wanted him to kill Christians. You can't get more deceived than that. And he got saved. So don't lose heart. Don't lose hope if there are some who are stubbornly refusing to believe. Write this down. Many will believe the word of God. Many will believe the word of God. It says he withdrew and then he took the disciples and this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So many believed and were baptized and it spread to the entire region. It was a gospel outbreak. Many will believe the word of God. So people will get saved by the thousands, by the millions, by the hundreds of millions. People will get saved when we proclaim the kingdom of God. We're going to put the map up here again because we'll see that many churches came from this time in Ephesus. Right in the middle, slightly to the left, is where Ephesus is. Look at all of the yellow dots, the churches that were planted during this time. They're mentioned in Revelation. Philadelphia, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamum, Smyrna, Hierapolis, Laodicea, Colossae. These were all churches that were planted out of this church in Ephesus. That is gospel expansion. And the truth is, the world needs more churches. Chicago needs more churches. There are not enough healthy gospel-preaching churches in the world today. Here is a quote from an author, Clint Clifton. He said this, Western culture is spitting Christianity out of its mouth. Every year in America, 4,000 evangelical churches begin. Only 2,600 of them will make it past five years. 7,000 churches close every year in America. If you do the math, the church is decreasing by about 4,400 churches per year. While our population is growing by about 3 million people per year. We can't even keep up with population growth. We need more churches. And that's why we plant churches. Many will believe the word of God. Finally, write this down. All believers must go and tell the world. All believers must go and tell the world. We are challenging our congregation to have a let's go mentality. How many of you have gotten your blue ribbon that says, here I am, send me? How many of you have gotten that? You either met outside or you came and met me by the map and you got your ribbon. If you haven't gotten your ribbon yet, meet me by the map. Today, you can say, here I am, send me, Lord. And then you can own praying for your block, your street, your neighborhood. You can own that personally. And I can't tell you how excited I am as we close this sermon today because one of the ways we are commemorating our birthday service is this. Today, we are launching our outreach website that we've been building for four months now, five months now. It's called findgodagain.com. It actually is live right now. Check it out. Here is a screenshot from findgodagain.com, an outreach website that we just launched. And this website is stories of lives changed from within our church where anyone who goes to this site can hear gospel presentations and be saved right there. Here's the next picture. There are people within our own church, we'll have six at a time up there, who have volunteered to be the first ones to go on the site. And they shared their story. I'd love for you over the next three years, we'll swap these out every month or six weeks or so, I'd love for you to have your story on this site. And this is, even though it could spread all around the country, this is our way of reaching our region. Seven miles around our church, there's half a million people. And look, three, four, five miles away from our church, are people really going to come to a church that's pretty far away if they don't know anybody there? It's pretty unlikely. 
That's why we would say, the further away you live from church, the more we would say, you know, go through your neighborhood and pass out info on findgodagain.com. If you put an anchor church thing in their mailbox, they probably won't come. But if you put this in their mailbox or on their door, they can check it out. And then they can get saved right there. Um, if you go around this site today, you can check out the next picture. After the initial testimonies, there's an entire page called Know God, and it is a comprehensive gospel presentation. So if they really get roped in, they can hear the entire gospel with verses, and then you go to the next page. And then if you go to the, um, the Go Deeper page, there's links to Got Spiritual Questions, Learn to Study the Bible. Uh, if you've got kids, Spiritual Answers for Kids, if you click on any of these links, it will take you to a partner site that is really awesome. Teenagers, spiritual answers for teenagers. Uh, and then we might have one more. Do we have one more picture? Or is that the end of them? Uh, that would be the end of them. So go to the site today, and we would recommend that all week long you find ways on your social media to say, hey, check, if you haven't been here, check out this site. Don't mention church. Don't, don't, my church is... It's not even about that. You know, just be like, hey, do you want to find God again? Hey, are you in a rough time in life? Check out this site. Hear this person's story. Just throw it out there and see what God can do. There are still some bugs we're working out. So, for example, if you go to share the page on your, uh, on your Facebook page, it might throw, like, a wrong thumbnail up. It might, like, show an Anchor Church picture. You can actually X that out and put your own picture there. Otherwise, it's confusing. You just, you know, take a screenshot and put that up there. But we really would love for you, as one of the ways you're reaching your neighborhood, to, to get the word out there about findgodagain.com. And we're going to have in the lobby in the weeks ahead, yard signs, bumper stickers, you know, uh, you know, door hangers. We would love for you to say, on my street, in my region, I'm going to promote findgodagain.com so people can hear about the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved forever. Well, hey, we're really excited about that launch today. And I really want to commend um, Pastor Stephen and also Julia Termanis because the three of us really together were the ones who built that site. So make sure you tell Stephen who got the videos going and Julia who handled the business side. Well done. It takes a lot of work to build a website, but that is out there today. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer to commemorate all that he has done in his church and in his word today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that you alone can save a soul. Uh, there are dry bones, dry bones as is described in the Old Testament, that need to be brought back to life by the preaching of your word and the movement of your spirit. So we give you glory, Lord, because you saved us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there are any today in person or online who are watching, and they realize today that they did not have the Holy Spirit of God in their life, may they just cry out right now, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I believe the truth. I repent of my sins. Here I am. Save me. And may they be filled with the life that only God's Spirit can bring. And Lord, for those who are going through hard times, may they know that you will never leave them. Your Spirit is in them, and you will shepherd them well, abiding within their soul. And as we go and spread the word about this new outreach website, I just pray that there would be divine appointments all around Chicagoland and beyond that people who desperately need to find you again, Father, would do so through the, through the stories you've written in this church right now. May people hear about hope and surrender their lives to you and be transformed forever. This is just the beginning of what you're going to do, and we can't wait to hear the stories that come about from this. But Lord, 
It's only through your effort that this will succeed. So we pray that you would get it out there, you would get it to the right people, and lives would be changed forever. We thank you, Lord, for 14 years of your faithfulness, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.